back to the Beyond the Pitch podcast, season one, episode 24. I actually know what episode it is this time. Uh, yes, welcome back. Happy Friday, I believe this is coming to you. And uh, not to drag you away from this podcast already, but a little reminder, my brand new podcast that I have with a uh, an amazing new co-host uh, called Backstage with Anya and Oscar. That's not the name of the co-host. The name of the co-host is just Anya, but um, that's the name of the podcast. It is linked below. Go check it out. Episode two came out yesterday. Uh, check out the Instagram for that as well. Uh, but also make sure you check out the Instagram for this one and the Twitter and the TikTok. They're all all social media is linked below. Make sure you um, give them a follow and uh, then you can interact with me with me there. I'm going to be tweeting about uh, the F1 this weekend. So I'm, I'm away, unfortunately. So no stream for it this weekend, but you can follow my thoughts and opinions around the F1 and uh, the tennis and the cricket on the Twitter. So let's jump into things this week. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the cricket. Why not? It is back uh, as of, I'm trying to think ahead of time here, on uh, on Friday... Will it be back by then? Okay, yes, it does start on the 6th of July. So that's very exciting. So I'll be tweeting about that as my way, um, watching parts of it, hopefully. Now, England did lose the second Ashes test. They took a very, very aggressive po- uh, approach for the second time round. Uh, it didn't work in the first test. And, well, I mean, there's obviously only two options here. But the two options are you continue that aggressive approach and hope that you break um, Australia down. Or you switch it up and, and hope that that surprises them that you switched it up. Or, it, you know, maybe that's something that's a bit more predictable. But this aggressive approach needs to change. Um, either they're not being aggressive enough or, or they should go back to to slightly more skillful um, cricket. So there, there were quite a few controversies uh, around the final day of the test. England needed to catch up uh, quite heavily. They had to chase like... 371 I want to say something like that and tell you what um, Ben Stokes did a fantastic innings he hit 158 or 100 yeah around like 160 I can't remember his exact uh, score but I thought he played really well it was unlucky that Bairstow got out now this is this is the main uh, topic of conversation for the, for this cricket section is Bearstow, so I don't know if anyone's seen it, and I recommend you go watch the clips on, on Twitter or something, but Johnny Bearstow is standing by his stumps, and he's just been bowled. Um, the ball goes through. It's the end of the over, which means six out of six balls have been bowled. Um, so he might get a change of bowler, or um, I think maybe it might have even been the end of the session um, for lunch or something like that. I think it was just the end of the over. But basically, the rules are, when the final ball comes through, the umpire is then meant to shout over so that all the players know it's the end of the over, and that's kind of tradition. That's that, that's how it works. Upon saying that, the batsman can walk away from the stumps um, and out of like that marking where they stand. I'm explaining this for non-cricket listeners. Um, out of that marking where they stand by by the wickets and they can walk away which means they can go talk to their their partner you know at the other end um without being run out which is basically taking the ball and knocking the stumps and that means the player is out now Bairstow walks away from him his stumps uh before the the uh umpire technically says over then 
Australia, throw the ball, knock his stumps, and get Bairstow out. The rules of the game are that a player is only ever out in cricket once they appeal to the umpire. So that's when, when they when the bowler shouts, how's that? After they bowled someone out, that's when the umpire then lifts their finger and says out. If there is no appeal, technically, uh, the player doesn't have to be out. Johnny Bairstow doesn't have to be out. So the right thing to do in this scenario, or is it the right thing to do? Should Australia have withdrawn their appeal uh, to get Bairstow out because it was a not very sportsmanship uh move it wasn't uh it wasn't very in the spirit of the game as a lot of the commentators said on the day or is it all you know fair and square he's out by the rules the umpire hadn't said over they threw the ball it hit the wicket johnny bairstow wasn't standing in that little marked area uh and he's out my opinion on this i hope i hope i've explained that correctly i've tried to do it in like very layman terms um and I want your guys' opinions. So do reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, uh, wherever, you, wherever you feel you want to, and, and let me know, join in the conversation. Here's my opinion. If I was, if this was the other way around and England were getting out an Australian batsman, I would say it's completely fair. And then that means I have to stick with that saying if it's for Australia. Yes, all right, it's not very sportsmanlike because there's been other times where... Um, a player has walked away from the stumps and they've not thrown the ball just because of the etiquette and like you know that the umpire is going to say over. Um, Besto did tap in. He he used his foot to tap in to show, look, look, I've checked that I'm here and, and now I'm walking to to my teammate to have a chat with him. Um, it's it's a little bit controversial. This is this is where the problems have arised. It's because then Stuart Broad, who was batting opposite um, Bairstow at the time, was saying, look, to the, to the Australian players, look, this is all you're going to be remembered for. This is unfair. This is against the the unwritten rules of the game. This je- Cricket's meant to be a gentleman's game. Uh, and, and they've gone and broken those unwritten rules. And, and they've taken advantage of England. But I do feel, if it was the other way around, England would have um, done the same thing. Now, Phil Tufnell, who is a... Uh, ex-world-famous cricketer um, and fantastic man behind the mic as well. He said that Australia would be regretting this decision and that it's, you know, it's not sportsmanlike and it's not the way the game should be played. I I, I do have to disagree with him. Of course, I know very little about cricket compared to him. I just enjoy watching it. Um, But let me know your thoughts. Is that something that's unsportsmanlike? Would England have done it? Would you have done it? And and the comparison of that to other sports is, yes, there are a lot of these unwritten rules. Uh, but if they're not a rule, should you be sticking by them? If it's going to win you the game or win you the match or whatever it might be, should you not try and exploit these um, loopholes or, you know, examples like this to try and gain that competitive advantage? Sometimes you need to be a little bit unfair within the legality of the you know of the game within the rules but if you can stretch it a little bit to win is that not sometimes what you need to do or should you be um 
you know, Australia could have gone on to lose by one wicket or something like that, you know. So it's something to think about. I think um, like in football, there's a lot, there is a lot of sportsman-like behaviour. If someone goes down injured, they end up kicking the ball out, uh, especially if it's a head injury. You do see a lot of the other players wanting to help out, whether it's opposition or same teammates. Um, rugby, if there's a really bad tackle, sometimes the players stop, um, but often, they, you know, some some of them will go till till the whistle is blown. And then with golf, um, you know, there's a lot of sportsmanship from from viewers, uh, like from watchers at, at at the course and other players. You stay quiet, respect respect the golfer. So maybe maybe there needs to be. Um, I don't think this should be a rule, but I don't think it would happen again. Uh, I think now everyone understands the situation. But what was the main main issue here? Actually, getting onto the main issue is that at Lords um, over the weekend, after Johnny Bairstow's very controversial dismissal, the some of the members of the Lords Cricket Ground were a little bit abusive towards the Australian players as they made their way back to the dressing room. I believe this was for when it was tea in the afternoon. So there's three plays of cricket during the day. And I believe that you know, the cricketers went back in about about three o'clock, it might have been. Uh, no, about four o'clock, maybe. I think it was about four o'clock. Um, back into Lords, into their dressing room for something to eat, drink. Sort of gather their thoughts as they're, as they're trying to bowl out England. And some of the members took some uh, swipe, not physical swipes, but verbal swipes at the Australian players. And these members ended up being suspended uh, uh, from the club from Lord's Cricket Ground. Is is cricket too soft a sport? I understand it's a gentleman's game. There's a lot of respect in it. Um, there's a lot of unwritten rules that, that both players and fans should be a part of. But suspending your members over a decision to shout a little bit of abuse at, like, you know, swearing at them and saying, oh, you shouldn't have done this or whatnot to other players. When, for example, in football, the crowd is constantly chanting at players, shouting at the ref. Uh, Even in rugby, there's a lot of arguments and um, shouting and sometimes a bit of abuse as well. But especially in football, should football be taking a harder stance on crowd members that shout at opposition players or even their own players or referees when for cricket it was an instant dismissal uh and and a and a, and a suspension and a banning from being a member at Lord's Cricket Ground something to think about and let me know your thoughts of course as I always say um reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram I want to know what you guys think whether it's good to have these differentials across sports of some being stricter than others or should there be a more common ground? Okay, what else happened over the weekend? Well, the F1 was back. The Austrian Grand Prix, I have to say, it was a fantastic weekend. Really, really enjoyed qualifying and the sprint. I thought the sprint was fantastic. Uh, wet weather, dry weather, lots going on. And the race itself, 
apart from Max being so far out in the lead practically the entire race, uh, I thought the rest of the battles were absolutely fantastic. Again, midfield battles living up to the hype. Uh, really, really good. And a couple of um, new challengers sort of in the top six. We'll talk about McLaren and their improvements under the new upgrade shortly. But again, some controversy uh, from the Austrian Grand Prix. So there was a lot of issues with time penalties. I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but the time penalties uh, issue caused caused a lot of, of talk on social media. So this is where the time penalties came into place. When you're driving around an F1 track, you have to keep your car within the white lines. Not both tyres, but if both tyres cross the white line that surrounds the edges of the track, you um, receive a warning. You receive up to three warnings and then you're shown a black and white flag. That is your final chance. If you cross over those white lines with both your wheels again, we're going to penalise you on your fourth um, fourth time. And then every time you do it after that, you keep getting penalties. The standard is a five-second penalty. Now, before we move on, these time penalties are fair for when you cut off the track multiple times to gain an advantage and you get a quick lap time and it might save your tyres, it might give you a boost over another driver that's near you uh, and just increase your chances of performing better. However, you can also receive the same penalty for going wise on the track and giving yourself a disadvantage. So, say Lewis Hamilton crosses the uh, white lines three times. He receives a black and white flag for cutting off a little bit of track time, let's say. But on the fourth time, he might go wide. He might have a... This happens even if you have a lock-up. If your uh, tyres lock in place and you skid and you go over the white lines with all four tyres, you also... That counts towards your penalty. So that would be his fourth um, offence. He'd get given a five-second penalty for breaking the rules. Is that fair? Should they be more of a calculation into whether going off the track has affected the driver in a positive or negative manner? Something to think about. So, not only were time penalties handed out in the race, but in Austria, there are consistently a lot of infringements. We saw in free practice, in qualifying, a lot of instances where drivers went over the uh, track limits multiple times and got track times deleted. Uh, you don't get any uh, any penalties in qualifying because you're just trying to get the quickest lap. But you do get your track time deleted. So it might be a really quick track time and then it gets deleted and you have to do it again. But in the race, you get a five second penalty. Now, there were so many infringements that once the race had finished, the FIA who are in, 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 uh, and the stewards that are in charge of distrib- distributing penalties didn't manage to get out all of the penalties before the race was over. So this means that a lot of teams could have changed their strategy or could have maybe done something different to try and gain an extra five seconds over the whole race to cancel out that infringement penalty. So during the race, um, lots of drivers, uh, well, a few drivers were given uh, time penalties 
Okay, so these were the infringement as follows. Logan Sargent, Kevin Magnuson, Ocon, DeVries, and Sonoda all received five-second time penalties for exceeding track limits. That means going over the white lines for a fourth time. And then Sonoda, Signs, Hamilton, Gasly, Albon, and Ocon twice, and DeVries received 10-second time penalties for exceeding track limits, which means they did it even more times. Um... A lot of, I believe there were even more penalties. I don't seem to have them all written down, but there might have been even more penalties. But the point is, these weren't handed out during the race. Some of them were handed out up to five hours after the race had finished, which is just completely mental. Some of the teams had landed back uh, in their own countries or in the UK ahead of the next Grand Prix at Silverstone. They'd literally left the country before they found out about some of these um some of these penalties it did however benefit lando norris um he climbed from fifth to fourth following all of the uh infringement penalties that were handed out which is a fantastic result for mclaren great to see them back up there again they did receive a lot of upgrades to their car before this race but i believe the upgrades only came to lando norris's car so oscar piastri <laughs> excuse me is the other um McLaren driver and I believe he's going to be getting his upgrades before this week's race in uh, Great Britain at Silverstone. So it'll be interesting to see how the McLaren performs with both cars having such fantastic upgrades. I mean Lando looked Lando looked phenomenal out there. I was, I was really really impressed. What else happened in the F1? I mean Max is Max Verstappen is absolutely dominating. So that he actually lost uh his he had a, he had an over over 200 laps um, in the leads consistently um, without anyone else overtaking him. I think, I, I want to say it was like 217 laps, might have been more. It might have been 217, I'm sorry, I forgot to write it down. But that was really impressive. And then Charles Leclerc managed to overtake him after the Red Bulls went in for a pit stop. But, of course... Max Verstappen took the lead again and was 24 seconds ahead of second place, which, of course, was Charles Leclerc. 24 seconds ahead on the final few laps. And then, as cocky as Max is, you have to give credit to him. It did work. He then said to his team, I want to pit and go on to softer tyres, which means his car would basically go faster and have more traction. Um a better grip, be able to go faster and go for the fastest lap. Now, if you're within the top 10 when you finish in an F1 race, you get an extra bonus point uh, for getting the fastest lap. Max had already won the sprint that weekend, so he'd already won eight extra points, plus the 25 that he got for winning the race, and he wanted a 26th, uh, or an extra point, which came to 26 total for the race, and 34 in total for the weekend. A very, very greedy amount of points, but completely understandable considering he's going for the championship. But his team goes, no, we're not doing it. It was 24 seconds ahead. A pit stop takes about 20 seconds. If something goes wrong, you will be out of this race because he was looking to do it on the final lap so that no one else had a chance to pit for soft tyres and try and beat him on the fastest lap. But he convinces his pit wall to let him do so. Goes in, pits, really quick pit stop. He comes out about three seconds ahead of Charles Leclerc and then with the soft tyres, he finishes about five seconds ahead. So absolutely fantastic from um, 
Max Verstappen a really cocky but impressive performance and I mean cocky in 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 a in a nice way I think you have to be to try and gain this many uh points it was brave um committed and yeah I was very very impressed and he deserved all 34 points from the weekend so well done to him as I said it is the Silverstone Grand Prix this weekend uh, coming up Saturday afternoon at Sunday afternoon, sorry, at 3 p.m. Qualifying is Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm away. I'm away surfing. Uh, I, I will hope to watch the race. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I will be, excuse me, will be tweeting about it. So keep up to date with me there uh, and let me know your thoughts as, as we as we go through the race weekend. Also, a great thing to note is it is usually shown on Sky Sports. However, Channel 4 for this weekend are showing it for free. Um, the whole, every session all for the whole weekend, practice, qualifying, and the race. Um, so Channel 4, shout out to you, showing that for free over the weekend. Now, just to wrap up, I, I guess, our little catch-up episode, I want to talk a little bit about boxing. Now, there's quite a lot going on in the world, in the world of boxing right now, but the main two stories are... AJ versus White has been signed and it looks as if it's going to happen on the 12th of August. That is just five weeks away. Now, I have to say, I'm surprised by reading about this. I did expect it to be a little bit later on. Uh, I'm I'm not even home for the 12th of August, so I'm a little bit depressed about that. I'm away on holiday. Um, so I am hoping that that, that uh, isn't quite right. But this is what I've been reading. 12th of August looks like it's going to be the fight for AJ versus White fight date. Very excited. Of course, we'll cover the build up for that and I'll do a dedicated episode to the rematch between those two. Third fight in their boxing careers, once in the amateurs, once as professionals, uh, professionals, uh, and this is their rematch. So we'll cover that as we get closer to that date. Now, the other one is Tyson Fury against Francis Ngannou. Now, Ngannou is a MMA superstar. He is uh, a heavyweight UFC fighter. Um, I believe his contract has actually run out uh, on the UFC. I'm, that might be slightly wrong, but he's known as the Predator. Uh, his record is what is his record? When we're, he's got two losses. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve wins. Now, of course, in in the UFC and in MMA, um, a defeat isn't that threatening to your career. Uh, he lost against Derek Lewis and Stipe. Stipe, Steep, Stipe. I think it's Stipe. Um, those are the only two ones. They were they were quite a while ago. They were in 2017. Uh, no, 2018. Both in 2018. Now, I'm talking about him because Francis Ngannou is supposedly going to be fighting Tyson Fury. Now, I know last week I spent a bit of time saying, look, I think Tyson Fury's been a bit of a fraud recently, saying that people should get all these fights on and he's not going to fight himself. I don't think we'll see him this year. I don't think we'll see him in your standard boxing setup. I do believe the fight to be made is Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. Both absolute heavyweight kings of their games. 
Um, Ngannou is he's an all right boxer. Um, we can have a look down at his striking accuracy. So his striking accuracy is forty one percent. He lands two point three strikes per minute, and I'm talking about punches here. Um, and he's much more of a uh, takedown per, uh, fighter. 62% takedown accuracy compared to his 41% strike accuracy. Now, as a boxer, you'd be looking for a slightly higher um, punch rate than that and and success rate. Tyson Fury, as we know, is a fantastic uh, heavyweight boxer. And he moves like a middleweight. It's really, really impressive to see. Uh, correction, sorry, Francis Ngannou's record is 17 wins, 3 losses. Uh, so, correct myself there. But, uh, w- what do I think about this? Two heavyweights of their game, bringing UFC and boxing together, two audiences that love combat sports. Do I think it's good? I do. I think it can bring some new eyes to boxing. I think it can bring some new eyes to UFC. Now, Eddie Hearn has had his uh, his say about this. He does believe that this fight could be happening. Of course, he doesn't promote Fury or Ngannou, but he does believe this fight will be happening. But notes that it could be under exhibition rules because Tyson Fury is the WBC heavyweight title holder. Now, that belt would very unlikely be up for grabs for Francis Ngannou if this fight was to happen. So I would expect it to come under exhibition rules. However, could we see an agreement where we see them in the boxing ring and then once in the MMA, um, uh, in the UFC octagon, I think that could be something really exciting. Tyson Fury has always spoken about how he'd love to be um, UFC heavyweight champion of the world. Um, would love to see him in that heavyweight um, scenario in a different sport. I think he'd be absolutely fantastic. And this is maybe a good way for him to go. I don't see the AJ fight happening anytime soon. I don't want to see another Wilder fight. And there's no one else out there that really deserves a fight against Tyson Fury. So why not have a sort of crossover event like we had with Mayweather and McGregor? We know the numbers that that did. That was one of the biggest pay-per-views in boxing ever. So why not bring two massive heavyweight kings together and see who comes out victorious? Let me know your thoughts and opinions on everything we've discussed today. Uh, Check it out. Check me out on Twitter. Instagram, check out the new podcast backstage with Anya and Oscar. Everything is linked below. I will be back Tuesday evening for a live stream. That is the plan. Uh, A little podcast live stream. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Subscribe and follow. I'll see you guys later. Bye bye.